Hello and welcome to the award-winning Canine Hoopers World podcast. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to season three episode 34 of Canine Hoopers World podcast. Today I am followed by I'm joined by a very, very amazing lady. Um, she is a behaviorist. She is a, she just does too many things for me to even list, to be honest. Um, so I'm going to let her introduce herself. Gemma, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm very good. I think you can just say I am jack of all trades, but master of none. <laughs> no, that is not true. That is not true. You are, you definitely know your shit, my darling. So for people that don't know you, who are you? What do you do? Okay, so um, what do I do? Oh my days. So um, I, I'm a behaviour practitioner, as you've already said. Um, I, uh, crikey, what do I describe? I teach other trainers and behaviourists how to spot pain and discomfort in the dogs that they are working with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we know that pain can affect behaviour, certainly from a professional point of view. Yep but we are never taught how to spot it. Um, And it's always kind of left for the vet to do, but the vet has a hard job, Um, 10 minute window, multiple species to to be a uh, genius in, Mm -hmm. um, and and they have it hard. So um, I've basically amalgamated my love of behavior with my love of uh, canine biomechanics, so anatomy, physiology, movement, posture confirmation and I've kind of molded them together to create a an assessment um protocol uh that trainers and behaviors can do mm-hmm. um to help get better results and get get the dog and the owner the support that they need yeah so it's it's yeah that's what I do <laughs> I love that that's amazing so Obviously, the listener, the regular listeners know that um, I talk about pain management a lot. Um, obviously, my journey with Dodge has been um, an emotional one. And we were talking before we kind of came on air. I was I was filling you in with my with my dog's wonkiness and non wobbliness because he's not wobbly. He's just not quite as well put together as he could be but then he's a shepherd and most of them aren't to be honest so you know, not, but, so. but but show me a dog that has no problems whatsoever I don't you'll be hard unicorn isn't it yeah yeah basically yeah it, it it there's not one dog that I that I don't walk past in the street where like an eyebrow raises and my husband's like just keep moving just keep moving <laughs> um because you see it it's like the matrix you end up seeing it everywhere mm. um and you know it, it, it's hard it, it, every breed has has has, a, has an issue even the mixed ones and not as healthy as as you know everybody loves to believe as well so oh yeah massively and I think it's the thing that people don't realize is that you can you can tell if you know what you're looking for if you have a trained eye like like yours is that you can see even in very young dogs from like puppy that there's potentially going to be a problem down the line, can't you? Absolutely. And, you know, we were discussing, I mean, for a long time before we went live today, because we just was like, oh, my God, so much stuff. Um, <laughs> that I, I mean, I've recently um, got a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Um, we picked him up at three months old. And I could tell right from the off 
that there was a weakness in his hind end. Um, thank God my husband fell in love with him as well because there would have been a fight on the way home because he was coming home with me regardless because I did something that I tell everybody else and most trainers and behaviorists and vets tell everybody else not to do. I bought a dog with problems. Um, but I was like, do you know what? He's better off place with me, someone who can see what's going on, mm-hmm. who can get him the support. Um, and yeah, I saw hind end weakness. Um, I waited a little bit to see him grow, you know, just past six months, see what was going on. And then I put the wheels in motion to get him um, checked out. Uh, I found a fabulous orthopedic vet. So I went in there with my, um, with all my skills, all my evidence, told him exactly what I could see in his terms. And he was like, oh, wow, okay. Gave him the most brilliant check over 20 minutes he took with my dog. He was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and he goes, let's CT scan him. And then we, it comes back that he has mild hip dysplasia and OCD lesions on both stifles or his knees, um, which potentially he might have to have um, operated on. So what um, does that mean for the, because the listeners are kind of familiar with hip dysplasia because I talk about it a lot, which is where the hips, rather than being a lovely ball and socket. Oh my God, that bloody postman. Every time we're recording a podcast, postman gets involved. So as I was saying, with the hip dysplasia, instead of there being a lovely ball and socket joint, um, it tends to sort of be, well, in Dodge's case, it's more of a saucer with a mushroom sitting on it, which is not as pretty. Um, what is the the other thing that your guy's got? So Otis has got something called osteochondrosis defamans to give it his proper title. Um, and generally you see it more often in shoulder joints or elbow joints in dogs, um, less um, so in stifles, but you know, like would have it, of course I have a dog with it in its stifle. Um, and what that is, so this affects cartilage. Okay, and it could be that the cartilage hasn't formed properly. It could be that the, the cartilage might have a bit of a hole in it or maybe a flap um, that hasn't broken off or hasn't healed. Um, maybe there's like bits of cartilage floating around in the joint. Um, so he's got some pretty substantial uh, lesions in his cartilage, in his stifles. Um, so he's on restricted exercise at the minute. Um, and and yeah he's potentially gonna gonna have it um operated on um just just to see but um you so you get intermittent lameness with this some dogs even after they get operated on still lame um bizarrely i actually had um, a welsh springer uh back in the 90s who had ocd in her shoulder um and she was a show dog uh she ended up not being able to my dogs are kicking off now. Not being able to, um, not being able to be shown because uh, uh, OCD has a high um, hereditary aspect to it, um, as well as nutrition and and kind of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so who- Gemma has um, two bull breeds in her house that have just decided that playing loudly with each other is the most helpful thing to do whilst we're trying to record a podcast. Um, Who's the other one that's in in there causing all the trouble? Because there's very pretty blue Stafford. That blue is- Staffy, that's that's Otis. He's the one with the OCD lesions, and he's currently swinging off the excess skin of my eight year old. 
English bulldog called Ron, who um, he's, I mean, I've learned so much from Ron. I mean, he he doesn't have the, the, the normal health issues that bulldogs have. So he doesn't have the breathe, breathing issues and things like that. Right. The way they're knocking into my desk is like I'm, I'm living in an earthquake. But <laughs> And, um, but he has horrendous allergies so um, he's actually he lives in a bubble basically run so I've got to be really careful where I take him because he's a, a environmental food internal and external um, allergens and we can't gauge exactly what it is um, we're very lucky that um, I have an amazing um, vet um, I actually worked with several vets but the one that saved his life six years ago was a guy called Vince McNally uh, aka Vince vet and he's a holistic vet and he worked with me with food testing and things like that and you know Ron would have um, basically uh, lived a life a very short life on steroids had it not been for Vince um, wow. so yeah the, the, the conventional medicine that was uh, being given to suppress his immune system um, was uh, actually causing more problems then um it was um it was actually kind of solving um and now he's off all steroids steroids all meds and you know he, he lives a, a brilliant life so and i'm just gonna have to go and get some more carrots because no that's absolutely <laughs> fine right the dogs are carroted up <laughs> they're exactly obsessed them. they're right, obsessed see they guys have... like this is where though because I'm going to divert off now. Control and management. See, even trainers, behaviourist dogs have moments of feralness. And it's Feral always when you're trying to do something and you're like, oh, my God, can you just not really? So when you're listening and you think, oh, I bet their dogs are perfect. No, no. no they are perfect, hell no. <laughs> perfect. And that is why we love them so much. Um, oh, can we great. talk a little bit about Ron's allergies? Because. I know we yeah, weren't yeah, sort yeah. of planning on talking on that, yeah. but it's it's an interesting thing. And it's something that I think a lot of people overlook because I know a few dogs that have kind of environmental allergies. One of my friends has got um, a little mixed breed that um, tree pollen. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's a good one to be allergic to. Yeah. So Ron is allergic to birch trees. I have four of the bloody things, things outside my front door oh no yeah <laughs> but they're obviously council kind of owned or kind of um, oh no so you can't even like, like swap them out for some oaks no, or something no no so um i i have vowed that on you know if i ever get drunk enough i'm going out there with a chainsaw and chopping them all down um but they're quite big they're quite substantial so i you know someone would notice if you know if they had gone missing just, and they would hear me with a chainsaw but disappeared mm. um so tree yeah because pollen seems to be quite a big one. and as as yeah. a hay fever sufferer i yeah. know there's certain there's certain months of the year where because people assume hay fever's like just in the summer but actually mine tends to be early spring it's daffodils freaking yeah. daffodils get me um oh it's lovely God. when you go in place and everyone's got vases of daffodils and i'm like please and the other for me is um rapeseed so the big lovely yeah. beautiful yellow rapeseed fields um there was a post went round on um social a few months ago about um 
don't let your dogs in rapeseed fields and blah, 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 blah. And mm. apparently it has been debunked. Um, some dogs can be very allergic to it. It's not ideal. But the, the general rule of that, guys, is if you are in a crop field, don't let your dogs run through the crops because you're being an arsehole to the farmer. Yeah, that and, you know, farmer spray so many chemicals right? stuff. And, um, you know, it, it's not good. It's yeah, so actually, you know, it's probably not even the rapeseed that's going to make your dogs ill. It's probably all the freaking chemicals that have been it sprayed is. on it to stop and the bugs know, from eating it. Do you know what? It's and it, it's luck of the draw, basically. Any any animal, human or you know, furry, yes. um, can have a, an allergy or an intolerance to something. Yeah, and you know, it's. The, the term hypoallergic or hypoallergenic doesn't necessarily mean that you, the animal isn't going to get a, an allergy to it. It just means it's less likely yes. to. Um, so you've got to be really, really careful. I mean, with Ron, um, I used um, uh, a certain brand of wet wipes to wipe, just clean out his ears once when I was away. He had, within seconds, a massive allergic reaction. Massive. Wow. Um, to the point where his ears closed up um, he came up with hives across his face his feet started swelling up so Ron's main thing is that he gets something which most bulldog owners would be perceived to, to call interdigital cysts which is where the webbing in between the toes starts to swell uh-huh and sometimes not... they get little spots don't they yeah they get yeah, had so... some of those when she was a puppy I'm familiar with this yeah yeah well that can be caused by kind of like the hair follicle going back in and stuff like that in Ron's case he was actually getting abscess in his feet which I used to have to lance and squeeze out on a regular basis when he was at his worst um to the point they were pushing his toes apart that's how bad they were oh um, so you know and it was a case of Oh my god! Because at that point we were like still trying to find out what was you know triggering for him. Turns out life was. Um, so it was a case of quick get the steroids in him to suppress yeah. the immune system. Yeah. That opens up the body to a whole world of nasties, as you know as well. Um, and I'm just so lucky that I found Mr. Vince McNally. Everybody knows that I adore the guy because he saved his life. Yeah. Um, and we were able to get him off off of steroids. You know and. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, he doesn't have, I mean, we used to get ear flare-ups probably um, four, five times a week, sometimes twice a day. Oh, wow. And they would last for hours. They were both eating carrots now. And yeah, yeah. And going, here, I'm going to try and sit on your hand. I'm like, I'm like, I'm just, I'm, this is really bad listening for the viewers and the, for the listeners, I'm sorry, but I'm here like, I'm like, Jam, I think Otis is just going to try and steal Ron's carrot. Um, I'm just. You wouldn't dare. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm always got... seeing like, the trainer in me was like, um, are they all right doing that thing? Yeah, oh yeah, God, yeah. So, so what Otis does? Otis is hilarious. He he stands on top of Ron's head, as in he straddles Ron's head, and I have and it it's just the weirdest thing. And I'm like, why are you doing that? And he just stands there, and Ron's led on the floor, going, I really don't need your junk on my head, mate. But yeah. and it's just the most random thing. And that's what Otis does. And see, he's kind of... Just likes teabagging the bulldog. He does like teabag, <laughs> yeah. Tries to insert his willy in Ron's ear sometimes. And it's <laughs> like, what's going on? Sometimes Ron will be asleep and Otis will get up and, and start pumping him. <laughs> just like, 
Oh, I'm surrounded by dirty goodness. boys. <laughs> poor bulldog. He's like, I was living a perfectly lovely life and I brought this bloody dickhead home that just does all these things. Oh my God, so naughty. It is. So, you what you on your journey of behaviour and biomechanics and all that? Oh. Did they coincide or were you doing one before the other? What's the... So... So I, I was actually, so it started when I was six years old. I'm 42 now. Um, yes, I've had a hard life. Um, so I started when I was six years old. Oh, haven't we all, babe? <laughs> <laughs> and um, my parents decided that they were going to get Welsh. Uh, well, first of all, it was a Cocker Spaniel. So they had a show Cocker Spaniel, Buster. He was a beautiful black and white show Cocker. This was 1986, by the way. Um, and then he was uh, swiftly followed by a Welsh Springer Spaniel. Um, my mum then got into showing. Um, and then we very en quickly ended up with uh, roughly about 14 dogs at one point. Um, wow. Mostly Welsh Springers, all show Welsh Springers, Italian Spinoni, Putty Bassett Griffon. Um, my mum's kind of settled on Spinonis now, but. Um, you know, I was dragged to every single dog show known to man in the UK. I've been to Crufts more times than I care to mention. Um, and, you know, I grew up in a household where good confirmation and good movement were key to success. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, I used to sit at the ringside watching judges assess dogs' movement. Okay, for all the, um, you know, we, we, can, we can chastise the kennel club and shows and what we've done to breeds all, all we like. However, a dog show judge assesses movement and, and confirmation, you know, and, and soundness, hopefully, um, for that particular breed on that particular dog. So I was actually kind of um, exposed to, to what I do now from a very, very um, early age. Um, I didn't want to, I knew I wanted to work with animals, um, but I found horses when I was nine. Um, and I actually decided to go for a career in horses initially. Um, so I ended up at Hartbury College for three years studying equine science um, and then um, came out of college, uh, went on to work in racing yards, show jumping yards, dressage yards, equine hydrotherapy units. Um, and what I saw within the difference between the equine world and the dog world is that when you go and learn, you know, stuff about horses, they teach you how that horse is put together, mm -hmm. how, this, how all the systems work, what they are. Um, you look at movement, you look at confirmation, you look at soundness of the foot, you look at how the gut works, you look at what type of food that you should be feeding these horses. And it's all to do with optimum health and well-being, because at the end of the day, generally, we want to ride our horses and compete and stuff like that. Um, and it was only when I ended up, I fractured my neck in a car accident and I ended up having to, to give my horses up um, that... Um, and I fell back into dogs to fill the void that um, I, I was actually quite shocked at how um, we focus on training, we focus on behaviour, but we don't, we don't look at how a dog's put together. We specialise in an animal, but we only look at like a small aspect of actually the whole makeup of that dog, because mm -hmm. it's never just one thing. Um, no system within the body works in isolation they all work either impacting on one or more of the of the others so it made sense to me that we should be looking at this stuff 
um, and linking it to um, behaviour. Um, I, in actual fact, it was my my first horse, Poe. I had a big sixteen hand Dutch warm blood, nice. um, um, which I was competing, and she ended up with gastric ulcers. Um, and she went from being this beautiful kind of horse with quite a lot of substance. She wasn't, you know, cob chunky, but she was, you know, she was well covered. She was beautiful. Yes. Um, and and she started to, to display some pretty um, dangerous behaviour. I mean, she bucked me off. She'd lie down in front of traffic. She would take me backwards over six foot hedges. And um, I contacted my first opinion equine vet. And he came out and he, he spent half an hour with her. He said, nah, she's just being naughty. Give her a crack on the ass with a whip. Tell her to get to get on. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Um, so I persevered whilst researching stuff that was going on. She dislocated my wrist one point. Yeah, you know, it was I, I wasn't going to let her down. I wasn't just going to mm -hmm. get on her with spurs and a whip and stuff like that. I was like, this, she's doing this for a reason. And she went, she, she ended up looking scraggy like a, a greyhound. And I'm like, well, this has got to be gut anyway. So that was kind of also in the back of my head. And the research that kept coming up was gastric ulcers, gastric ulcers. So um, complained to my first opinion vet again and said, you need to find somebody who can scope this horse. Mm -hmm. He put me in touch with a brilliant um, Tim Brazil, equine medicine on the move, who is a gut, gut specialist. And he came out and he scoped Poe and um, he spent half an hour listening to me about why I thought it was that. My first opinion vet was there as well because he had to sedate her. Um, and gastric ulcers are graded from zero being none, four being the worst. She had grade three. Oh, shit. She had grade three. And then once we got on top of the ulcers and we got her gut balanced and stabilized, we then could work on the behavior. So I turned to um, a T-touch practitioner to help. And within three months, I had my horse back. That spurred my interest in kind of alternative therapies. Mm -hmm. um, and I went off, I've done, I've done quite a lot. Um, and then I felt like, like I needed more. So I went and studied um, uh, myofunction and rehabilitation therapy um, with ICAT and the OCN London. Yeah. Um, I've done hydrotherapy. I'm currently um, doing a vet physio course as well. Wow. Um, I've done a behavior course as well. So it's just everything. It's just really lovely kind of um, blended together. Mm -hmm. um, and when I started doing kind of like my own behavior consults and things like that, I was automatically assessing a dog for posture, confirmation, abnormalities, gait abnormalities, and going, something isn't right here. Mm. Um, and I do assisted vet visits um, with my local clients. Um, and I've had dogs, um, you know, re highly reactive dogs, which have gone to other trainers and behaviors, and they've only gotten so far, and then the behavior's just plateaued. Mm -hmm. um, and then they've come to me, and I'm like, well you, you your dog's in pain and they're like well that's that's in a check and I'm like did they see it move and no <laughs> and I'm like right I'm coming to the vet with you so I've had highly reactive dogs um uh diagnosed with uh, severe hip dysplasia mm. uh cruciate uh, injuries mm. um spondylosis yeah arthritis uh you name it and um 
it was kind of coming into lockdown when I was doing a lot of online courses as in teaching quite a lot of online courses yeah. some of my team that kind of like my assistants that helped me said you you actually need to teach the stuff that you that you do yeah um because you know you can help more dogs that way and so you know dynamic dog was then born and um it's just um it's incredible because it's taken off so quickly which I didn't think it would um so it shows a real need and a real gap for this stuff yeah um and I have to say every single one of my graduates have gone on to help so many dogs mm -hmm. we've had a dog taken off the destruction order in another country because of the assessment um that my my student did um you know we're finding dogs that have been um actually malformed like spines and you know things like that that you know they, they've had three or four vet visits and it was never found because there's a, an amazing lady Gwen Covey Crump she's a pain specialist vet at Langford University um in Bristol and she's actually said it's nigh on impossible to assess a dog for pain in a veterinary environment mm-hmm because of all the things that the dog, I mean, the dog might be shutting down, you know, overexcited, fearful. Adrenaline, Adrenaline can actually change the body's perception to pain. Yeah. Which is also why your dog will still want to do zoomies. They will still want to play, you know. I mean, we've just seen Otis, my Stafford, being a complete loony git. Yeah. Um, and he's got, you know, dodgy knees and dodgy hips, you know, they still do that because adrenaline will change the uh, yeah. body's perception to pain. Um, so, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a 38 year journey, 35 year mm -hmm. journey um, into, into this, you know, and I was unaware when I was six years old, just how, how important having the life with the dogs I've been fortunate to have yeah. was going to take me. So yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I just want to touch back because I come from horse background as well. Um, I was one of those annoying little brats at the riding school and then had my own horses and then was yard manager for a little while and yeah. worked at liveries and blah, blah, blah. So I always say one thing I find amazing is that when we're learning to ride horse, or I, I always joke my job was to teach children how not to die on ponies because that's basically <laughs> what a riding instructor does. Um, yeah. Especially, I mean, riding school ponies are generally very kind of cool and they're very nice. But when you get on to ponies that are not suitable for riding schools, like they try and kill you regularly. It's a thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, especially Shetlands. <laughs> they're not the cute, fuzzy, farewell ponies you think they're going to be. Did you remember those from the 80s? <laughs> so the pony I actually used to ride a lot, Fudge. Oh, my God, I miss that pony. He was this little dumb thing and he was well Shetland cross. Like, yeah. And on Lee Drain, oh my God, he was just a puppet. He was absolutely good as gold. Yeah. Off Lee Drain, especially jumping right, if there was a stride between a jump, he would get a buck in. If there were two strides between a jump, he would get two bucks in. Yeah. Like this little pony, honestly, he was, and looking back, you know, there probably were a few things going on. That's probably why he did what he did. Absolutely, but, absolutely. You know, we, the thing that kind of resonated with me when you were talking about like how we learn about how horses work, pony club, when you do your pony club test as a child, you have to know the points of a horse. 
You have Absolutely. to know about the feet. I have still got my manual of horsemanship upstairs. I hate to think what edition it is, but <laughs> I still have that little blue covered hardback book. Yeah. That basically was every child that was in horses. That was like our, our Bible and our handbook, you know? And yeah. why the fuck isn't there one for dogs? There is, but the thing is, is that is that you know as, as trainers and behaviorists it's it's nobody's fault but it's everybody's fault it's the yeah. way that we've been educated just and I, I liken it to like just like owners want a quick fix we've gone to the quick fix solution to try and because we think that that you know if we change the outward behavior mm -hmm. it benefits us basically yeah 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 um but we've given no thought as to actually you know how is that dog put together you know how are uh -huh. its working together you know i know that vhs um book that you're on about i've probably got one somewhere myself um and you know it's um it, you had like pictures of like the foot the hoof the frog everything. oh my god that i would can work. still tell you the construction of a hoof now like yeah white line bars yeah. sensitive lamini intensive lamini you know we can go there um but um but when it comes to when it comes to dogs like i mean i'm obviously have got an interest in it and looking at it from more of a sports perspective now you know even yeah. more so than i did just from doing kind of you know, like tricks and fun bits and dogs walking to heal and recalling nicely. Now I'm kind of more into sports stuff, you know, like the conditioning stuff that Dodger's mm -hmm. done. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm actually really grateful that I'd put the time and effort into building up his muscle correctly and looking at how he was moving as a puppy because very early on, um, I used to kind of, I used to say that he had a lazy bum because his bum would flump over all the time. Now, obviously, I know that his hips aren't wonderful, which is probably why he had a lazy bum as a puppy. Yeah. But I spent a lot of time working with him to teach him how to hold himself in a straight down, yeah. how to hold himself in a straight sit, how to stand with a leg at each corner. Yeah. And it's it just seems funny that you know when i wonder if it's if it's the price difference because let's face it i mean keeping dogs is not a cheap thing anymore and buying oh, no. dogs like me i've literally paid less for horses yes. than people have bought dogs for now and i'm like wow really um yeah. i mean i think i paid 600 quid for my mare can you imagine paying 600 quid for a dog now you'd think it was cheap yeah, what's wrong with it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's crazy. So we we know that the price has gone up, but you'd almost think that with the price of dogs going up, rightly or wrongly, um, again to the brilliant breeders, we salute you. We appreciate you. Keep doing Absolutely. the amazing stuff. To the rest of you, feck off and stop putting shit into the world. Yeah. Um, it's a public service announcement. So, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why people kind of don't learn more about the species they're living with i know it seems to be dogs and i think cats fall into this a bit as well that you just kind of get them and they're there whereas i think when people get more specialist pets like if people and this isn't everyone and i know this is a broad sense but seems to be people that have like equines put a lot of time and research into looking after equines yeah 
people that get reptiles or amphibians spend a lot of time mm. understanding reptiles and amphibians because you need the right the right conditions you need the right heat the right moisture depends on the species all this stuff dogs and cats just kind of get thrown into a home and good luck yeah exactly <laughs> i mean i mean cats are well cats are cats they're kind of we're there to serve them and they waft in and out of our house as and when they please quite a lot of them mind you I did have two indoor cats myself until just recently um but you know that's the other thing that is never considered is that the dog didn't choose us mm -hmm. we went to the, the the rescue or the breeder and we picked a puppy out or a dog out and said you're coming home to live with us we give no thought as to the environment it comes into. Don't get me started on slippery floors. I did a, a talk of um, Cam, Cam the listeners about that. know my opinion on slippery floors. Yeah. It's yeah, fun. I mean, it's, it, it, it's frightening, but also we expect them to just all of a sudden fit into our routine, fit into our, our daily lives. And it doesn't suit actually a high percentage of dogs. It doesn't suit them. Um, we leave them at home alone you know um and not just that there's like um air freshener chemicals we have that spray automatically into the into the house all the kind of um you know we've got fridge freezers that give off gases and stuff like that we've, you know they're harmful to us just as much as they're harmful um to the, the pets that we have and don't get me even started on dog food um because that's a whole <laughs> other podcast i think you probably need vince the vet for that one as well but, but no, we, we've, we don't do our research. Um, I've met people in the, in the park that's like two minutes from my house. And I've been walking with a guy I noticed was playing with their dog. And, and he's like, oh yeah, my wife chose him because they're like really two calm breeds. And I went, it's cockapoo, right? <laughs> Cocker spaniel from working life and uh, poodle. So me, me and Jane did did a big dissect. Me and Jane Arden did a big dissect on why mixing cockers with things does not create calmness and it's not a fucking thing. No, um, two working breeds. Who whoever thought that idea up and it's gone, this is a family dog. Um needs his bumps out, is all I can say. And we know it was going to be a man <laughs> who, who kind of put, generally you know, the Labradoodle was a man. Um and he regrets that. Um, so, you know, it's, yeah, that there's no, that there's no forethought. And I, I, I've, I've actually kind of been on the lines of thinking recently that maybe dog ownership should be licensed and you should kind of have to pass some sort of test like you do for, for driving a car in order to show that you are capable and you understand and, you know, you've done breed research and stuff like that. It, it's, it, it's almost like that because you know in the wrong hands dogs are dangerous we yeah. know that yeah so. no definitely and i and especially now there are companies that are selling weaponized dogs because that's what they are yeah into what are potential are basically public homes you mm. know and it it is difficult but i just I think as well, Guy, the other point I wanted to pick up on was um, with you saying about when we take our dogs to the vet. And I actually, I, I saw an article on Facebook about this the other day and was like, oh my God, I've never thought of that. And then you've just refreshed it in my brain. When the vet comes to see the horse, unless it's for colic, where you're half the time, you, it just turns out that the dog, that the horse has just got really bad gas and you've just been spending 
five hours at the yard at midnight trying to get a pizza delivery to deliver pizza to the yard whilst you've been putting liquid paraffin down your horse's neck without trying to cover yourself in it and all that good stuff um yeah, yeah. any horsey people have been in that situation at some point the moment Absolutely. you discover dominoes delivered to your yard is like score it's a revelation you know, you'd never leave the yard basically well, basically <laughs> i mean do you ever anyway no but when the vet comes to see the horse when you are going to buy a horse, you get the horse vetted. It's a thing. You do not purchase a horse without getting it vetted because that's just crazy. You know, even the the top, top horse people yeah. in the world get a vet to vet the pony yeah. or the horse before they buy it. And top level eventers and things like that, they have to be, they have to go through a vetting process before they're allowed to compete as well. Right. You you get your you just rock up somewhere, give someone some money, and you pick up a dog. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, you know, even horses that we spent, and this is going back in the day, less than a grand on. We would still get them vetted. Yeah, absolutely. They would still be vet checked, you know, to make sure that they were sound on the rest of it. Generally with horses, if something's going to go wrong, again, very broad brush, but it's normally the legs because they're yeah. badly designed creatures, basically. Yeah. Very huge body on very skinny things. Even yeah. the cobs have relatively skinny legs yeah. compared to the rest of them. Absolutely. The first thing your vet says is, right, let's see him walk, let's see him trot. And then sometimes it's even, let's put them on the lunge to people that are non-horsey. You basically stand in a circle and try not to get dizzy while the horse goes around you on a long yeah. piece of rope. And hope they don't spook and drag you, like, for miles across the field as yeah, well. Yeah, or spook into you and just trample you while you're in the middle. Yeah. Um, literally, like, farewell holding a pony. <laughs> <laughs> so, from that point of view... The first thing the vet is looking at in a horse when there is a problem is how they move, whether they are sound, whether they are lame. And we balance, yeah. Scale of one to ten, are they a temp flame or are they? I mean, ten temp flame is basically do we need to start making a decision on this horse because it's probably highly broken? Yeah. With dogs, you I've never ever ever. I'm lying. One time, one time I've had a vet say, can you just walk them up and down reception so I can see how they're moving mm. once? And that was I, I was, I knew that the, the dog had a neck injury or suspected neck injury. The vet was telling me it was a, um, a gut in issue. And I was like, it's not a gut issue because we have projectiles if in both ends, if it's gut. So, yeah. And then an hour later got told that actually, no, it was her neck after she, finally screamed bless her oh, um, no. but that's the only time I can think of that said, I want to see that dog move yeah um so quite often and it's the reason why I ended up doing assisted vet visits for my local clients is that I'd go in with obviously the client and the dog the owner could just manage the dog and I could be the one that would speak to the vet say what I could see um and you see the vet go oh yes well you know it could be this it could be that and you know we'll, you know we'll, we'll give it a few weeks and i'm like are you going to see it move are we going to take the dog out outside and, and, and watch it move 
oh yeah, 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 we can do that. And I've stood next to many a vet whilst the dog's moving backwards and forwards and they've just turned and looked at me and goes, I'm sorry, can you tell me what you see? Mm. And I'm like, oh, oh, you're kidding me. This dog, she's pacing, circumducting, stiff through the, the lumbar, fixed through the neck, you know, notable kind of coat changes. Really? Mm. You, you, you're telling me you can't, you can't see this. And it, it was you know, quite scary. That's just from mm. one practice though. So, you know, I can't tarnish all with, so there are some think brilliant about, And actually there. think about when Dodge went for his assessment with the specialist for his hips, they did obviously watch him move, but that yeah. was a specialist and we were going yeah. for his hips. Yeah, You know, absolutely. so I would, to be honest, if they hadn't asked me to move my dog, I would have been like, do, do you want to see him moving? Or like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Can that help you out here? I just, it's crazy, isn't it, that in some ways, dogs and horses have so many kind of similarities, but our way of, our, the, the way of husbandry and just the way we kind of care for them and the understanding of the species that we're coexisting with is so completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, that's what that's what kind of really shocked me the most kind of flitting from dog industry to horse industry back to dog industry again i mean really and truly we don't ride we don't ride dogs and it almost seems like well you know we don't, we don't they're just companion that they're not they don't have a server specific purpose you know for mm-hmm. i mean it used to be cavalry and hunting and, and yeah. kind of stuff like that so you know it, it, their their health and well-being doesn't seem as important yes. you know which um, is crazy really yeah it, it absolutely absolutely and a lot of people go it's just a dog it's just a dog but things we also, we've also got to consider that horses are obviously massive compared to dogs as well so some of the stuff uh, that happens with them specifically so if we talk about stereotypy behavior or ocd behaviors as they're more no, commonly known in dogs Mm-hmm. You know, I was asked, so why do you think um, they're more they're more well-known in horses than they are in dogs? And I'm like, well, we ride horses, so we know, and they're a lot bigger, so they, we know, you know, we need to kind of sort these things out because yes. the stereotypy behaviour is bigger. The box walking, it can cause tendon sprain strains and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's ever had a horse that's got a check lig- had a check ligament, um go you know you know it, stereotypy behaviors where horses weave from side to side and stuff yep. like that can do huge damage however dogs are a hell of a lot smaller and a lot of people think it's funny when they see a dog chase lights spin you know and owners aren't of, of dogs aren't as aware of, of those stereotypy behaviors and how much actual kind of damage and harm that they can do physically um mm-hmm. to a dog um however that behavior came about so you know and it's we find them cute and funny in in dogs because they're small and fluffy but horses big and dangerous yeah crafty you know dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle i think um robert downey jr famously well to be fair it's it's a pretty good description isn't it because i mean yeah i i lost count the amount of time thing is with a horse as well even if they don't mean to like if you know, if Dodge is being spatially unaware and bumps into me, like occasionally I'll lose a bit of a kneecap or whatever, but I've literally had ribs cracked from a horse 
not being aware of where I was and they spun around in the box quickly and kind of I ended up between horse and wall and neither of those are very forgiving and yeah unfortunately it was at rib height and I ended up being very bruised and sore for a few weeks but Let's kind of move on a bit more away from ponies as, as much as it's interesting. And I love talking ponies. I am aware that not all the listeners are horsey. So I don't want them being like, oh, my God, why are we talking about horses, Mark? Um, <laughs> I want to talk about like um, one thing that's just kind of come in with talking about behaviors that sometimes we train dogs to do. Um, sometimes it's just things that dogs do naturally. Mm. Um I want to ask your opinion on it's a trick that's I think pretty well known and it's one of those that I haven't actually taught it to dodge deliberately um because I don't feel he's a suitable candidate for it but sit pretty or beg getting dogs to go on their hind legs and balance their weight up now my chihuahuas do it naturally we call it meerkat and it's just something they do because they have a very low center of gravity Mm -hmm. and they just seem to do it yeah. without kind of being trained. And of course I reinforced it because it was super cute and they were offering it. Yeah. Munch, I've only ever, um, our little staffy mix, I've only ever done it with her assisted because she's very deep chested. And I, I always say that she's, she's a bit top heavy, bless her. And she found the balancing a bit difficult. So we would do it that she would just balance a foot on my hand as nice. she was doing it. Now, yeah. It was one of the tricks that on a few trick titles has been asked of of Dodge. And I kind of, I deliberately haven't done it, partly because of his hips. Now I know his hips aren't great. But also, is sit pretty actually the best trick to be teaching our dogs? Or is it potentially dangerous? Not necessarily dangerous. I think... I think it's not necessarily, a sit in general isn't necessarily a natural behaviour. If you watch dogs in the wild, they don't, they don't often sit. It's normally like an interim between stand and, and down, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it massively depends on the, the confirmation and the genetics of that dog, whether they find it comfortable or not. There's absolutely no point asking uh, a dog before six months of age to sit pretty because they're still gawky they're still growing things are growing at different rates mm-hmm. it's an uncomfortable time it, it, it you know I mean it can a- actually kind of go on from like six six months and, and longer depending on the breed um so it's not necessarily something that I would I would ask a dog to do I'm not a fan of um puppy classes um teaching um automatic sits um you, t- you generally tend to find it happens more naturally with smaller dogs anyway because yes. they have to drop the, their hind end in order to kind of look up and see what you're see what you're doing so you do end up finding um you know dogs that that will naturally just just do it as as part of you know they they need to see what you're doing they need to see where the food's coming from in your hand so you know you don't necessarily get it so much with the bigger dogs um but i think we have to t- we have to take every dog as a unique individual and some dogs are not going to be comfortable doing that for whatever reason a lot yeah. of dogs aren't lucky enough to have have amazing owners like yourself that are gonna go do you know what something's not right here i need to go and get my dog checked out mm-hmm. um because a lot of times i think well you know it's just the way the dog is yeah um, you know, or he's stubborn, or he won't do this, or he won't do that. I think 
it's, it's a really difficult question to answer because it depends on the yeah 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 but I'm because I remember there was like a big kind of again there's always a bloody debate on social media about something but yeah. I remember um, a blog coming out about why it was not a good thing to teach because I think for a little while it was kind of one of those it became the sort of go-to trick didn't it it was like really popular for a little while that you know because one of the other things I I mean Dodge didn't learn it till he was probably about seven eight months old was poor because poor is one of those that does my head in because then especially with big dogs you then get big dogs that claw at you um and just basically end up diffing their owners but for some reason, yeah. it seems like sit and paw are the go-to behaviours that all dogs must learn. And then if they know sit and paw, they're trained and you're like... Yeah, again, I think... people. No, I, I think it comes down to, again, education at the end of the day. Mm. Um, you know, and I think we... My staff is deciding to bite my kneecaps now. Yes. That's helpful of him. It's it, really it, helpful. Absolutely. Um, so I think, again, it, it comes into... Um, it comes into you know education and where where owners are getting the education from Mm -hmm. you know and like vets and dog trainers and behaviorists Mm -hmm. um you know i i would always if somebody came to me and said i want my dog to be able to sit and give a paw i'd say okay that's great what functions do those have Mm -hmm. within your life yeah what what is that what problem is that going to solve because I'm all for, um, I'm all for kind of, you know, us teaching dogs life skills rather than, you know, the trick stuff. I mean, my, my bulldog can give me a high five. You know, I ask him to speak, he speaks. He won't shut up afterwards, but. <laughs> oh my God, that was brilliant. That wasn't actually like, see, you should be careful what you reinforce because look what you get, you say. I know. I know, right? Um, and Otis is trying to do his thing of teabagging run again in the background. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think we need to be asking why, 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 why would you like that? I mean, why sit when stand, stand still? Hopefully, if a dog is able to do that physically, because mm-hmm. some dogs they or lay down. Yeah. Why, yeah. why, why a specific sit? Why, why a paw? Yeah, it's cute, but you know, what function does it have? You know, but I definitely think that we need to look more at the dog's physical condition before we start teaching specific elements to make sure that that dog is okay. I mean, even things like canny cross. Yeah. You know, I mean, the proviso is, is that your dog needs to be a year old and fit to the best of your knowledge. Mm -hmm. The the, the last bit is to the best of your knowledge. And owners, trainers, even canny cross, some canny cross people aren't trained to, to, to kind of pick up anomalies and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, a vet will just give a, a dog a, a, a little brief check over and, you know, say, yeah, absolutely fine. Off you go. Well, you know how difficult it is sometimes to be able to get your dog to be diagnosed with it. You know, you know, there's something going on. So you have to push and push and push. Yeah. The general owner who's not in the uh, industry isn't going to know this stuff. So that, that's why they're going to be, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I want to teach my dog that. You know, I mean, I mean for me, when it comes to Dodge, it's always a case of, you know, I I will basically message Karen, who's his physio, and big shout out to Karen because she keeps my boy in, in tip-top condition and he loves nice. dance, Karen. Yeah. Um, but I'll message Karen and go, Karen, is Dodge allowed to do this? Like, is this okay for him to do it? You know, um, he's 
this is coming out in October, so it would already have happened, but just organised his little third birthday party where he's going with a couple of his friends to a doggy swimming enclosure. So it's not one of like the pools, it's like literally an outdoor pool area. It looks amazing. They're going to have great fun. I know that we have to be careful with him swimming because mm -hmm. of him like jumping and how he's moved with his hips and stuff. So I was like, Karen, is he allowed to go swimming for his birthday? And she was like, yes, it's once this year, like yeah. he can have a fun day, but just be aware that we might need to treat him after. He might be a little bit stiff. And yeah. then I go, oh, but should I take him? And I'm like, but he still needs to live. He still needs oh, to gotcha. fun and do things. Yeah. But it just means I need to be aware that he might need a little bit of extra TLC. You know, um, I use, I've got like the heat therapy stuff for him. So it'll be a nice. case of he has some heat therapy before we go in the pool. I'll make sure that he's wearing a coat so he cools down properly after and all of these good things. And you can kind of end up getting into this sort of state of mind where you feel like you've got to wrap them up in cotton wool, but also they've still got to be dogs. And I think that's really hard, it's isn't it? It is. It is, especially when you've got dog with with physical issues or, you know, any sort of health issue. Um, you know, like I said, with Ron, Ron's a bubble dog. He very rarely goes out um, mm -hmm. because we just don't know what's going to set him off. Um, he's much better than he than obviously he used to be. Um, but yeah, it, it can be it, it's finding that happy medium between allowing your dog to have a, you know, live his life mm -hmm. um, and and kind of like going, well, you can't do that because you'll fuck yourself up, mate. Yeah. Um, you know, so and I always, you know, just like humans need to go and see physios and massage therapists and chiropractors and things like that. Having one of the many wonderful therapists out there check your dog over once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. even if they're not a sporting dog yeah you can then you know track any possible or potential um issues that might arise you know and there, there's no one better than a vet physio or a massage therapist or someone like that to be able to track your dog's soft tissue yes. um and what's going on for them um vets less so um but that's because vet physios and massage therapists it's their job they do that day in day out whereas you know vets are it's a little bit different they they look for other stuff yeah um you know so i think yeah i mean it's like you always kind of need to treat your dog like a car in a way uh and make sure that it has a its mot and a service and and things like that every now and then because we do it for ourselves well we should yeah <laughs> I was joking the other day that I'd actually missed my sports massage because I'd taken Dodge for his massage and forgotten that I actually had mine. Oh um, and then was like, oh, my back's really sore today. Oh, yeah, because I got the dog fixed before I got me. Got myself. Yeah, yeah. We're all guilty. Well, yeah. yeah, we all do it. So um, the other thing I kind of want to talk about from this is more from the Hooper's point of view is um, start line positions because... When we have the dog in a start line position, it needs to be stationary. And then we are asking for an explosion of forward motion for the dog to start running on the course. Same agility as well. Dogs are on the start line and they're going to go, generally, it's a jump to start with an agility. Hoopers, it's going to be either a hooper barrel, uh, a hoop, a tunnel or a mat to start with. So I think... 
when it's a tunnel start, it's always a bit harder because the dog's going to have to run forwards and then potentially just duck slightly because yeah. they're going into a tunnel. Hooper's tunnels are 80 centimetres instead of 60, like agility. So yeah. most dogs can run through them without having to concertina their bodies smaller. Um, I yeah. don't like Dodge doing agility tunnels. He just looks smushed into them. Oh, um so when I first started with him, um, it was a sit because that seemed like the most natural position to put him in. I decided yeah. that a down, there was kind of a lot of movement needed for dogs to spring up from a down. Yeah. Um, obviously, once we found out about his hips, it's been changed to a stand. Yeah. Nice. At the weekend, it was really interesting because um, the place I was judging, um, the ground had some little spikely bits in it, just where the grass had been cut, there were some little spiky bits. And the amount of dogs that were being asked to sit, that really Ooh. didn't want to, and in the end, I was like, guys, remember the ground spiky? And they were like, oh, okay. And it was like, you know, I'm not being funny. I would not have sat my bare ass on that spiky ground. It was not nope. going to happen. <laughs> No. What would be kind of your advice with your knowledge for kind of the the safest, not just the safest, but also the most efficient start position for a dog to be going from the stationary position into that forward momentum? So I think we have to look at how um, human athletes actually how they start because they're always from like a generally a crouched position if you look at Hussein Bolt do his you know he starts off the blocks I used to swim for um the county I actually qualified for the Olympics when I was young scary um you know when you when you start off the blocks you know you do have an element of, of kind of your knees are bent because you want to be able to use that to push off um and it comes back to the that every dog is an individual yeah you know, so um, you can you can practice staggered leg starts. Um, you could practice maybe crouch, you know, from a not necessarily a lie down, but a crouch position that might help. Mm -hmm. Again, it depends on the dog, what breed of dog is doing it, that kind of thing. What the dog's got underneath his feet as well um, as, as a starting point. Because, you, you know, I know it's, it's kind of grass, but like you said, it, it's prickly as well. So, I mean... You know, are we having grass mats there? Can that help? Um, condition of feet, that can help as well. Um, so it's, there's kind of like multiple kind of things that we should be looking at. Um, but yeah, it depends on the dog, depends on the breed, what you've got. Because um, I guess collies naturally kind of go from a very low uh, sort of stalk crouch position yeah. yeah, and will spring forward. That's kind of very natural for collies. And yeah. you see a lot of collies will start in a down and then they gradually go into that crouch and then they propel forward they because yeah. naturally that's how collies move. You know, it's almost a sort of trademark collie position, isn't it? Yeah. That sort of crouch, low, ready to run if need be position. Absolutely. And go back to Hussein Bolt. Think about how he starts off in the blocks. So first of all, he's crouched right down. Then they say ready and his bum comes up in the air. Mm-hmm. Think about a collie. Yeah. You know, and that is the, the fastest kind of exit out of the blocks. They've also got staggered blocks in there as well, you know, to help propel forward. So, you know, we can we can see some, some similar, similar, oh, I can't say the word. Similarities. Similarities 
um, you know, from animal world and human world, because, you know, humans have mimicked animals and, you know, it's, it's, it's paid off. So, so yeah, it's, it comes more natural to some dogs than it, than it does others. Um, but it's, it's worth kind of experimenting to, to kind of like find out what's going to be the best for, for that particular dog, mm-hmm. you know, and just because we see a lot of collies doing that doesn't mean it's actually beneficial to a one collie to mm-hmm. kind of start like that. Yeah. You know, um, I think go with the behavior that you're offered or the posture that you're offered initially. Yeah. 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 And work that with that. Sense. But also surface does does have a big impact you know like what's the grass quality like also um because we're in the uk has it just fucking rained in the middle of august because why wouldn't it you know so straight away then i'm like oh now the ground's a bit slippy shit which that's that's my worst case scenario i'm like oh my god if the ground underneath is hard and then we get rain on top. I'm like, oh, and that is when I will pull him from runs. I'm like, mm, do you know what? Let's not do that one. Um, interestingly for me, he actually runs on sand the best. Sand is like our favoured surface. Nice. He can dig into it a bit more. And, you know, yeah. he's a big old hefty shepherd. So the fact that there's some kind of give in the floor surface definitely helps us you know whereas with grass I actually prefer it when it's kind of either the spring or the autumn and the grass has got the ground has got a bit more give yeah but again back from our horse days you know we were always taught (laughs) don't canter your ponies on the road you're allowed to trot your horse on the road but you shouldn't canter on the road I mean let's face it we've all ended up sideways going up a road going (laughs) you're not meant to be cantering it's bad for your exactly and then you've got to look at you've got to look at racehorses as well so anybody that's i mean i don't agree with racing now uh, but haven't been in the industry but you know you (laughs) look at racing guides and it's like the going is good good to firm and that is the ground condition of that horse of that track at that time for that for those horses on that race so yeah exactly and like yeah the going is good or good to soft but then if it's soft, are they going to slip? But if it's firm, the, the impact on those horses' legs, you know, yeah. I where we used to ride, so I've completely slipped back into horses, but whatever. Um, <laughs> where we used to ride, you know, in the summer, we had loads of gorgeous fields to hack ground. But in the height of summer, we would hack over to the sand track and we had, a, and the horses used to, basically used to get to the bottom of the track, hold, turn around and just hold on for dear life because yeah. you knew you were getting to the top and they'd actually put in a massive barrier at the top to stop the horses coming out. Wow. You then and went you were, on quite a busy road, which looking back, freaking terrifying. Oh God, um, yeah. And you're always jet propelled with horses as well because the second they want to go into canter, it's... She's going up the field and it's just hilarious as you're going up, bless her. And then they'd be racing each other. Yeah. And like, oh my God, it yeah. was so much fun. I miss the soundtrack days. But <laughs> again, we were taught at a very young age that, you know, you had to mind the ground conditions. And if the field was hard, you didn't jump your pony in the field. Nope. You jumped him in the school if you were lucky enough to have a school or you just yeah. weren't allowed to jump that day. You had to do schooling, which was boring. Or you went for a yeah. hack. Yeah, and you went for a plod. You know, yeah. it's yet with dogs like 
you you only have to go into any public space to see a fucking bull chucker. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> I was referred to as yeah, bull yeah. finger. Um, yeah. twat six. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's become normal in society, isn't it? That getting your doctor. I can remember going to um a consult years ago and um. They were, they were wearing the puppy out by getting it to chase a ball up and down the stairs. And I was like, okay, so we're not going to do that. No. no. And that was before I even knew everything I knew. You know, I was like, look, you know, you have to understand that doing things like that, you could end up with your dog getting arthritis very early on. Breaking a bone. Because yeah. you've worn them out. And literally this puppy was running up and down stairs. And I hear it so often. You know, oh yeah, we just like throw the ball up the top of the stairs, get them to run back down again. And I'm like, that that's no. I mean, puppies, puppies should be supervised anyway, going up and down the stairs or carried for the first Dodge was rarely allowed to do stairs for the first eight, nine months. Yeah, like good. it was a couple of times a week, he was maybe allowed to come upstairs. Yeah. Um we he would like I would do my live upstairs and he would come up and they were carpeted as well and then he'd come back down that was it one time a day he was allowed to yeah. do the stairs because I didn't want him running up and down the stairs um my little old terrier had arthritis and all sorts going on bless him we used to carry him yeah. to save him having to run up and down the stairs and I just again I wonder how we can get the information out to people without them just thinking that we're snowflakes for want of a better term i think i think you have to i mean throwing a, a dog throwing a ball is okay in moderation and but the thing is we used to throw a ball with an actual arm i know i want to know who invented the ball chucker i know do you know they make them for puppies so they do different editions there's like the sport edition there's the puppy edition and depending on the size that they are and the way that they're bent depends on how far you can throw the ball with them no and do you know what it's not the running after the ball that's the issue it's the it's the stopping and the breaking and the turning to pick up that ball that's what does the damage yeah um and then when you combine that maybe with a lot of people have uh slippery flooring in their home laminate flooring they bring a new puppy home and they're throwing balls and toys on that slippery flooring mm. and you know the owners go oh look you scooby me doo oh that's just it's hilarious oh look he's sliding oh um, I've, I've seen videos of people putting cute pictures of their puppies skidding across kitchen floors and stuff and like oh my god isn't this the best thing and i'm like no please don't please don't do that i know i know and i i think it needs to i think breeders um need kind of like a little bit more education not necessarily more education but maybe kind of they need to be educating the people that buy the puppies i think mm -hmm. rescue centers vets trainers behaviorists we all have a job to do mm -hmm. um and you know we've only got i mean you've only got to look at the information that cam who are absolutely brilliant cam yes. arthritis um they the information that they put out you know arthritis is a welfare issue in dogs and i did a, a thing on slippery floors for them was it last week or week before i can't remember now and um i said i, I talked about how laminate flooring actually 
became very, very popular in 2006. It just took off in Europe. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then before then, we didn't really have it. We had flagstone floorings. We might have had a bit of lino somewhere. Um, but flagstone floors, carpets generally throughout the house. And do you know what? We had 14 dogs from the from 1986 onwards mm-hmm. none of our dogs had arthritis now there, there was a confirmation in the hereditary kind of aspect in there as well because mm-hmm. obviously if you've got sound confirmation that means that your joints and your muscles are going to be working in in balance more mm-hmm. okay um, obviously poor confirmation means that you're going to put more stresses and strains and pressures within joints and, and on bones and things like that so you're going to wind up probably with a higher likelihood of arthritis however put that on a slippery floor and it increases even more um you know, even a sound dog will struggle on a slippery floor like Lino. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't have arthritis in our dogs. We, we didn't. And we, you know, I would like to see the figures to find out when arthritis became a, um, you like know, a whaler in the dog world. Yeah. yeah. What, what was, you know, when did it start to increase? Because I can guarantee you that, 2006 when laminate flooring became popular in Europe I reckon that was the start of it Mm. you know because it's not the big slips and the throwing the balls yes that does do a lot of you know harm it's the small bits it's the dogs having to um, change the way that they they stand and the way that they walk and sit to negotiate going from one room of the house to to the other Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean so it's it's yeah the bot the dog's not using his body how how he should you know we only we know what it's like when we have just one flake of snow outside and all of a sudden the whole the whole country grinds to a halt and you know trying to walk on ice or or slippery ground ourselves is difficult yes you know yeah it's hard now dog's feet aren't rubbery they're actually quite smooth yeah so you know and we wear slippers and shoes which are rubbery so we're at the lower end of the the slip risk if you like um and you know we don't see the impact it has on our dogs yeah we just don't but you know it's not just in homes uh I went into pets at home the other day and ended up carrying my dog back out because the floor was horrible so it's pet shops it's vets veterinary practices their their flooring's quite atrocious as well not in equine vets though because you know horses have metal shoes so we put rubber mats down Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. go back to horses again um, you know so it, I mean pubs dog friendly pubs things like that just it just doesn't get taken into account um, you know and it, it, it's just everything is for the ease of the human for our convenience yeah everything yeah because let's face it laminate's much easier to clean than a tiled floor yeah and it, it, it doesn't it looks... scratch like a wooden floor does no no, I mean, do I have laminate flooring in my house? Yes. But as you can see behind me, I have mats, ru- you know, rugs, runners, that kind of stuff. So oh, you, I, my you dogs... can get from our living room to the back door, playing the floor is lava without having to touch any of the actual flooring because there's yeah. mats everywhere. Perfect. Because and that's exactly how it should be. All of them, you know, the chihuahuas have steps to get up on the sofa. Nice. Um they have, they have the little steps and we have the things they need to do. Occasionally, Dodge uses the travel step. And I'm like, 
did you actually need to use that or are you just copying them? And he's like, I can use the step two. I'm allowed. Yeah, I am an honorary chihuahua. Why not? <laughs> he does He does think, yeah, bless him, especially when my when my poor mum's coming to look after him. Like, she sent me a picture and was like, why does he think he's trying, as he's trying to get on her lap and love her? And I'm like, I'm sorry, he doesn't understand how big he is. He just doesn't. No. It's like, well, my, my English bulldog was brought up with an American ragdoll cat. And that cat oh. thought he was human. So, um, and then and then my bulldog thought he was a ragdoll cat. So <laughs> it's, oh God, it's just honestly, it's just the I had a, a Maine Coon as well till oh, recently. They're they're like in my top three of Brit. I love so you like the floofy ones that have floof, floof and stuff. Yeah, lots of floof. Yeah. So is there anything? I mean, apart from obviously in our homes, we can put mats down and stuff like that. But as you say, in the world, there are a lot of environments our dogs are going to go into that are potentially slippery. Is there anything we can do to help our dogs not slip so much? Um, yeah. So look after their paws. Okay. Look after the paws is the biggest one. Make sure nails are as short as, as, as they can be. Dogs use their nails to dig into the ground. Okay, mm-hmm. and they're, they're like having four stiletto points on the ends of their toes. Okay, and if you've ever tried to walk in stilettos um, on a laminate floor, you end up on your backside pretty mm-hmm. damn quick, basically. So when a dog's nail comes into contact with a smooth, hard surface, it just scratches over the top. Yeah. Um, so the longer the nails, the, the you know, the, the higher the, the, you know, the risk slip is or the slip yeah. risk is should i say um so make sure that the the, the nails are, are really well cut trim all paw fur in between the toes underneath the paws because having lots of fur on the underside of their paws it's like you skidding around on fluffy sco- socks on a slippery floor oh, okay. really make sure those paws are trimmed and they've got no no fur coming out no of grinch toes no grinch toes no oh. hobbit feet no hobbit feet <laughs> um, oh no but chihuahuas have grinch toes okay I no i know i yeah. do know that they need their feet trimming um, yeah there of you this. Go. bad carry um so um i was you... doing really well wasn't i and then i've just damn it my dogs the last toes and, <laughs> and then we need to look at pad condition as well so you know are there any cracks in the in the paw pads um, are they horrendously dry? Are there areas where you've got poor overgrowth? So my bulldog has, he's got pododermatitis with new pad fat, um, formation. So his feet are slightly deformed. So the old paw pads, the, the skin on that are overgrowing. So we have to make sure that we kind of sand or trim those down so that they don't okay. become a problem. But they can, because they, they grow harder, um, that means that again, the slip risk is is elevated mm-hmm. so you can speak to a groomer or speak to a vet do some research online and actually you can get paw balm to help soften paws to make them like a little bit yeah, and paw um, wax and stuff paw wax and stuff like that um toe grips are, are are brilliant absolutely brilliant they go actually around the claws and they, they a little bit of a rubber traction basically mm. um that can really help uh, especially older dogs um, just to get a little bit more traction and stuff like that. Um, you can buy things like paw waxes. Um, if it's if you're going to take a dog somewhere, like maybe for a day, 
where you know there's going to be slippery floors mm-hmm. i really love things like paul's rubber dog socks i don't know if you've ever seen those they're yeah, really we've cool we've had to use them before to keep um paw dressings clean so i'm very yeah. familiar with those that they can be really really good as well um i would um yeah just for like the odd day or a couple of hours or something like that i wouldn't have them on a dog's feet long term because dogs sweat through their paws yeah um you know and and it helps them to cool down when they can sweat and if they're Mm -hmm. covered in something that doesn't get any air in again you know you can cause kind of dog to overheat that way there's lots of different boots and stuff like that um that you can wear there's really weird sticky things like um and they're kind of rubber and they're in like the shape of the paw pads that you can actually buy to stick on dog's feet Mm, oh. jury's out on those for me because i'm like okay. well, yeah that just sounds a bit weird and uncomfortable it almost feels like you're getting the sole of a shoe and sticking it on your foot that just sounds yeah, weird absolutely obviously there's rugs runners mats and stuff like that you can buy if the dog if you don't want to use rugs runners and mats because you've just spent a fortune on your brand new laminate flooring you know you can buy a coating that you paint on which gives it um texture you can use grip strips Mm-hmm. um you can actually buy dog friendly flooring i was gonna say because we're we're in the we're in the midst at the moment of um doing redoing the house and the flooring's coming in and the first thing when we went to the flooring place i was like it needs texture yeah and the guy went oh do you have dogs yeah so but i think the early laminate was very sheeny and there was nothing whereas when you talk about sort of don't it's it's more like plastic floor isn't it It kind of comes in the strips but they're sort of a bit bendy and flexible and i'm deliberately not naming brands here um but some of the especially the wood effect ones and stuff they do have a grain to them which sometimes it's not enough i think in all honesty what you need to do is bring some samples home and you know just see how your dog gets on with it yeah um or or you commit to to doing the hole downstairs in a flooring that's yeah because you know some people some companies might say that they're dog friendly but you know proof of the pudding is in the eating as they say and i think trial and error to find the best one um for the dog because you don't want to spend an absolute fortune that only to realize that in actual fact it's no better and you wonder as well whether dog friendly just means that it's easier to clean up any little accidents or slobber spots absolutely yeah again it should actually say human convenience on it rather than dog friendly um basically but but yeah 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 the other question i have while we're sort of talking about houses and lifestyle and stuff Mm. um artificial grass is this bad for the babies okay so no i think it's more bad for the environment Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, I'll let, I'll let you into a secret. Not many people know. When I got Ron, um, I got him a dog loo called uh, the Big Rascal. And it was nice. something that was on Dragon's Den. And basically, it's like it's a bit like a massive cat litter tray, but without the litter. Um, it's a big square thing, like a couple of feet by a couple of feet. Yeah. With sides. Yeah. Um, and then there's a grill. And then there's a piece of fake grass that you goes on top and you spray it with real grass. Now. I've had a few clients that have been in like apartments or flats that they don't have quick, easy access to a garden. And we've put those yeah. in for dogs. So I'm 
I you know what and him. and I had Ron trained I brought him home at 10 weeks old I had him trained within three hours all I had to go was make it quick when he started sniffing and circling and he'd run out into the kitchen and get on his little oh, um, thing much probably, better than a puppy pad you see this is much yeah, better exactly and all you, then all you do is like just you can stick the fake grass in the wash the washing machine he comes with a bag um, mm -hmm. and you tip the pee down the sink and obviously clean it and stuff like that uh, the, the problem came was when i actually found him asleep in the, the dog loo because you know um, i mean he is he's boys stinky boys do these things they are just grim aren't they yeah um but i think um you've got to be really really careful with um with how you can't just go out and just buy any old fake grass there are companies out there that actually do fake grass that has a specific layer underneath it which removes all the odor and stuff like yes. that from dog pee and and stuff like that um do you know what with dogs that have got massive grass allergies yeah. they're an absolute lifesaver absolute lifesaver um, you're supposed to vacuum them, aren't you? Can you see someone oh my, doing like mate, that? Mate, I'm going to be out there. Honestly, I'm going to be one of those weirdos out there hoovering my lawn. I tell you, it's going to happen. <laughs> the way we're having it, we are going to have to have a small area because with four dogs in the house and a small area of grass, it's just going to turn into a mud pit. I know it is. So yeah. unfortunately, we need to go down. And I have lots of insect-friendly plants in my borders. I'm trying to counteract it as best I can. Have some, have some really lovely dog kind of um, herbs in there. Like if you know Zoo Farm or Cognacy, lavender, yeah, we've marjoram. Yeah, last episode on that with Diane. So yeah, amazing. Lavender is go. a big hit in our garden. I have yeah. lavender everywhere because I'm obsessed with it. But I was thinking more like with um, fake grass and astroturf because you see um, some of the competitions um, they. They work the dogs on Astro, um, especially like agility, obedience, stuff like that. To me, from playing hockey on Astro, yeah, it's blooming slippy. Yeah, it is. I, again, there's no. I mean, you can't you can't go any better than natural, you know, natural substrates yeah. underneath the feet. There, there's there's give. They can claws can go in. And again, this is this is you know what I was talking about with the laminate flooring. Mm. Dogs cannot get grip on um on the floor on astroturf as well as your normal mud and grass and your yeah. sand and things like that so you know it's yeah and it's firmer as well it's a lot firmer uh, for the dog to 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 run on so so again we're getting into kind of like you know are you looking after your dog's feet legs you know muscular system skeletal system you know regular checks so Again. potentially we may need to be a bit mindful with zoomies on the new grassy area just to i mean but again this is this is the whole are we just wrapping them up in cotton wool and am i wall. totally overthinking this because i'm i'm a helicopter parent <laughs> <laughs> i am the same i'm the same like i am that helicopter dog person that like needs to micromanage everything because i don't want him to break I drive yeah. my husband insane with this. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, he has he has, you know, known issues. Um, everything in moderation. You know, there's no harm in a burger once in a while, but eat them every day, you're in trouble. You know yeah. what I mean? So you have to, th there's nothing wrong with zoomies. I mean, Otis with his hind end issues, trying to stop 11 month old Safi, Safi from, from going hell for leather around the back garden. Um, 
yeah it's, it's nigh on impossible um so we allow him to do it to a certain extent but when it starts to speed up we kind of like step in and go well we'll just calm down like redirect kind of thing yeah so you know everything in moderation and it is as long as stuff isn't being done repetitively um like a lot of ball throwers are um you know and you get your dog checked regularly by somebody who who's skilled hands-on um musculoskeletal therapist you mm-hmm. can't go wrong you can't go wrong really they'll pick things up long before they become an actual problem and at the end of the day most conditions um you know arthritis didn't just happen it there was there was there was going to be something that sparked that off whether it, the joint wasn't moving effectively there was an injury there was a break something yeah. or a malformation of the joint like hip dysplasia is yeah um you know it doesn't just start that there, there will be a reason for that as well so yeah no definitely so um Gemma, thank you so so much for joining me today i'm very You're mindful welcome. of your time especially because we had such a big conflict before we started <laughs> recording like it was amazing um if people want to find out more about what you do um if they're local to you or whatever where can they find you um are you on socials are you stuff yeah or? i'm on social media so um my general business page is Gemma hodson hyphen dynamic dog um, if you're a trainer or a behaviorist and you kind of really want to, if I've sparked your interest and you really want to start to know exactly what makes up the dog and why it's so important um, to the work that you do, I've got a free group for trainers and behaviorists, which is Dynamic Dog again. So basically, mm-hmm. you just go to my general business page, you should find it from there. Yep. Um, or you can go to my website, um, which will be www.dynamicdog.co.uk. Cool, and I'll put all of those in the link to the show notes so people can find it there. So as always, guys, um, if you would like to buy me a coffee, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash hoopers. You can follow at Dodge Shepherd at Minx Chihuahua on the Instagram. Canine Hoops World is on Insta and Facebook. And until next time, stay safe, be kind, wash your hands thoroughly, keep your dogs on lead around livestock and don't let them lick toads. Take care, guys. Bye. www.caninehooperswild.com Canine Hoopers World now has achievement awards online so anyone anywhere can test their teamwork and get one of our beautiful rosettes there's even one for puppies the website will tell you more about that and Hoopers how to find an instructor we also offer online training there are beginners courses we offer online training in distance handling and there are instructor courses for dog trainers Join us on Facebook. We have a friendly international group and follow us on Instagram at Canine Hoopers World. Canine Hoopers World, everyone's invited. <laughs>